This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 6, Episode 10. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. Today is Thursday. No, Friday. Let's cancel that. Originally going to be yesterday that we that I was going to do this show. Friday, May 13th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode. And I am your host, Riley Bowman. This evening, this, this is actually a Friday evening we're recording this show. I have with me a special guest co-host, Christopher Bean of Tactical Advantage. Hello, sir. Hello. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. I've uh, been trying to get you on for a while. Uh, you're a busy, busy man. And uh, so I appreciate you for making time on a Friday evening to do this with me. I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we are here tonight to discuss uh, a, a topic that I know you're very passionate about. I'm also passionate about, but it was actually your idea. And I, as soon as you mentioned it, I'm like, yep, that is spot on. That's what we got to talk about. We're going to talk about cultivating community, um, fostering engagement, impacting culture, all of that, I think, in a way of improving student learning and performance. This is going to come to you from a lot of this, the perspective of a, of a firearms instructor or trainer, um, but I know a lot of things we're going to discuss this evening will apply to a lot of folks in a lot of avenues of life, work, business, um, education, whatever. But if you're a firearms instructor or trainer, uh, I think this is definitely going to be one you're going to want to stick around for and listen to. And Or if you're just a passionate individual uh, about training and want some good tips of of how to do it better or, or some things that you might employ to... Uh, make your learning environment more effective. But first, tonight our episode is sponsored by Mountain City Supply. Mountain City Supply is my choice for ammunition. And in full disclosure, they sponsor me personally as well, which I am I'm proud to be associated with a brand like theirs. I was going to mention that uh, recently they got their brand new QC machine up and running. This This thing takes photos from like a dozen different angles and uses like nine different lasers or something crazy like that to measure every dimension of every round that passes down this special chute. As it does that, in an instant, it can tell which rounds are within spec and which ones are not, and automatically kicks out the bad ones and keeps the good ones. Fortunately, with high-quality reloading uh, machinery and equipment, not too many have to be kicked out, but it's awesome to see how they take quality control seriously at Mountain City Supply. One of the reasons I'm proud to be associated with them and they provide all the ammo that we use here at concealedcarry.com and with the Concealed Carry podcast. So guys, check out Mountain City Supply for high quality, affordable, available ammunition. They've got ammunition available to purchase most of the time. Uh, It's rare you'll go on their site and see you know, nine millimeter, for instance, completely sold out. I know a lot of you guys out there looking for nine millimeter or maybe some other calibers. I'll tell you another one that's really hard to find right now. And it sometimes surprises people, but like 38 special and 357 Magnum is hard to find. And when you do, it's kind of expensive. Mountain City Supply has it in stock right now. Uh, and it's a very, very reasonable price. 
so that's where I've been getting some 38 special recently as I've been experimenting with and, and, and trying some things on revolvers as of recently. So guys, check them out. Mountaincitysupply.com is a place to go. Um, I, I would have a discount code for the general public, but margins are pretty tight, as you might imagine these days. Uh, our Guardian Nation members do get a discount off of ammunition for Mountain City Supplies, so that's something worth looking into if you'd like to save a little bit on your ammunition, as well as a bunch of other things, is a Guardian Nation membership, uh, which you can find at GuardianNation.com, just as a little side note there. But check out Mountain City Supply for your ammunition needs. Uh, they are working hard to bring quality ammunition to you and do it in a timely fashion. Also, today's episode is sponsored by ReadyUp Gear. ReadyUpGear.com is the place to find the equipment. Uh, specifically this evening, I'm going to highlight the dummy ammo that ReadyUp Gear manufactures. Uh, it is quality, quality dummy ammo. Uh, they start with a actual once-fired brass case that's cleaned and polished and all that it's then put into a mold where it's polymer injected with a specialized polymer uh, in a bright orange color at least the nine millimeter caliber and we do have other calibers coming hopefully very soon it's been in the works for some time but not currently nine millimeter and 223 available and that polymer fills up the entire case, including the primer pocket. So some people are particular about not doing dry fire or, or, or things like that uh, without something protecting the, the firing pin or striker a little bit more. Uh, I'm not necessarily personally all that concerned about that, but some people are. So the nice thing about Ready Up Gear Dummy Ammo is, is everybody can be happy. Uh, it's quality stuff. I like to stuff my, my magazines with it when I'm doing dry fire practice to get my mags a little bit closer to true weight. Uh, and it, it works really effectively in that in that fashion. Here's the best part too. Ready Up Gear Dummy Ammo is a, is very affordably priced. Uh, there are some out there, some competing competing products where you get like five in a package and they cost 16, 18 bucks. Ready Up Gear Dummy Ammo is very, very, very affordable. Uh, so check it out today. Go to ReadyUpGear.com and I hope you'll give it a try. Let's get into our topic. Again, I have with me Christopher Bean. Tactical Advantage is your training company. And you and I met really like officially got to start associating with each other and get to know each other through the Active Self-Protection Instructor Certification Program, part of the same cohort. Yes. And I'm so glad that we got to meet because I consider you to be a dear, dear friend and someone that uh, I always enjoy our time together, whether it's talking via text or over the phone or in person, such as recently when you, you helped me out as an assistant instructor in my Huntsville, Alabama class, which uh, we'll reference here in a bit. But first, I want to give folks an opportunity to get to know who is Christopher Beam. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background uh, and and kind of how you, I guess you came to be like, why are you even here, man? Hmm. What a question. Uh, well, my name is Christopher Bean. I run a small company called Tactical Advantage, uh, really focusing on uh, uh, smaller size individual type coaching. Uh, I've been a professional instructor for, oh, right at 20 years, maybe 21, 22 now. Uh, Multi-certifications, uh, I also am on the coaching staff at the Complete Combatant under Brian Hill and Shelley Hill. Um, 
Uh, now I'm actually part of the instructor cadre of the active self protection, active self protection uh, instructor certification program. Uh, so I've been doing this a while. Uh, had some time to develop my ideas and and how I kind of do what I do. Um, I also uh, work in corporate America, uh, doing leadership development. Uh, business development, things like that. So I have kind of a unique perspective on how to apply some of those thoughts and, and theories uh, into what I do in the firearm space. So it's it's been a pretty interesting journey learning some things over the years. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a passion project for me. I'm, I'm incredibly interested in how people operate. Uh, from a coaching perspective, as well as figuring out ways to help people learn more, uh, perform better, um, and really apply what they're learning so it sticks, so they can use it after um, the learning exercise, right? So uh, that's really what I've been focused on for the last five years or so, uh, almost exclusively trying to figure out a better way uh, to get people to perform and learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned 20 plus years of instruction. Was that, were you referring to in firearms instruction? Yeah. In firearms. Yeah. I want to make sure that was clear, uh, which is, which is fantastic. That's, that's a long time, longer than me, about double what I've been doing uh, professionally, I would say. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, you work in corporate America. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's kind of interesting about, about you, Chris, is that um, you are a bit of a sleeper, okay? Because if people, I think, just were to meet you at a, at a function or a gathering or something, they would have no idea that you do what you do for your day job. Uh, they'd have no idea that you probably were even a firearms instructor. Uh, cause they'd probably think that you were some hardcore, like eighties, uh, rock, you know, band groupie or something <laughs> wearing a Metallica shirt or, or, or something, you know, and like, uh, you, you're just a sleeper and you're also a sleeper as a shooter. And I, I want to make sure that that's clear, uh, because you're also a really good shooter. Uh, and I know that you speak humbly of yourself in that regard, but I've seen it and other people have seen it and you're a fantastic shooter. And so as a farms instructor, I want to make, make it clear that uh, you, you check all, all the boxes. Uh, number one, you got experience doing that. That's, that's good. You've trained with a bunch of other instructors from a variety of different, you know, you, you train with a lot of people over the years. So you've seen, you've got a, a broad uh, a base and a broad knowledge base and experience base in that regard. You're a good shooter. So, you know, you know, like we can tell that you know how to implement the things that you've learned and, but not everybody's able to do that. And then also pass that on to students. But where I think that you check some of those boxes is that you're also very analytical. I think that bodes well for an instructor and you are um, very good at diagnosing things, which I think it ties in with the analytical piece, like being able to look at problems and look at what someone is doing and break that down and, and begin, you know, diagnosing uh, what they need help with. Um, and you're a good communicator, very articulate. So, and I know it sounds like I'm probably just here to prop you up, which I am 
in part because Aww. you know it's always good to get that little bit of a confidence boost you know everybody needs that sometimes but also just to establish that like there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast that haven't heard of you before today sure and and so i i'm establishing that credibility piece that like what we've come here to talk about tonight like you understand as a topic you understand as an instructor as a trainer um and so there we go. We got that that uh, that box checked. A few months ago, you were so kind to volunteer your time and assist instruct for me, which was a huge. Um, I was honored that you would do that for me. You would come and help with a class I was putting on in Huntsville, Alabama, that was sold out. In fact, oversold. Uh, it wouldn't have happened without your help in that I, I opened up a couple more seats because there was high demand for this class and you helped me out. And it was wonderful to share the line with you that weekend and to see how you interacted with students on the line. Um, and I think that by pretty much every account from everybody that was present, both on the student and on the instructor side, that it was a weekend of success. And there were some unique things that came away from that, that I did at least some, some takeaways and things um, that I think tied pretty directly into our topic of discussion here tonight. And really what we're, you know, when we, when we get down to the bottom, what we, what we want to discuss is are there things that we can do as a, and this is always interesting in the firearms space because sometimes we say firearms industry or the training industry or the firearms community or the training community. There's all these like words we throw out there and I don't know if all of them or any of them necessarily fit quite perfectly to describe what, what people mean a lot of times. I think community probably works pretty well, but how, how can we use community and maybe even culture? Great word. Great to word impact student learning and performance and keeping in mind that the context here could be that we are all ultimately students. So that's, that's what we're here to discuss. And that class in Alabama, man, like I've never seen anything quite like that, but it was unique from other training events I've been a part of. So I'll, I'll let you speak to that a little bit. Cause I want to get kind of get your perspective from your point of view and uh, let you kind of set the, the tone of where we go, go from here next. Sure. And I think what happens a lot of times, uh, especially from an instructor perspective is we, we tend to forget that we're teaching people uh, and we really kind of want to focus on our curriculum or what we want to teach uh, and, and the individual uh, or the person coming to us for guidance kind of gets lost in that mix. Uh, that's where I think it's very interesting to try. Uh, how do I want to word this from an experimentation phase to try differing, differing ways to uh, apply how we connect with people. Um, certainly, I think the class we're talking about, it was it was absolutely unique. Uh, I think it's going to be. uh not necessarily uh, time possible uh, for all classes, but the yield we saw from that particular class was actually quite awesome. 
and I, I think it boils down to how we create culture. I think that was a great word, uh, by the way, to use, but creating a culture where the class almost self-sustains the want to perform and achieve uh, versus the instructor driving that. I think that's the big difference. Uh, when the instructor drives it, you you might see fleeting performance improvement, but normally it doesn't stick. Uh, when you create a community-based kind of culture, that support system, it's, it's almost infectious. And then you'll start seeing a dramatic improvement in how people are reacting to potential failures, what they're learning from those potential failures, and then the successes kind of come. Um, it's quite interesting. So uh, I guess, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about that class in particular, uh, or how we kind of got there and what happened, that would that would probably get us started off pretty good. And we can just kind of roll with the punches from there. Yeah. Um, let, let me throw out a couple of things, I think, contextually that uh, apply here. Um, wh- what we did, and I, I, I should say it wasn't so much what I did. I, I just was there to teach a class. A lot of this is attributed to, to you. Um in large part, and also the host of that class uh, and everybody involved. But um, there, there are other training opportunities where similar things perhaps happen and could or could happen. And by that, I mean, like, there are some training schools, for instance, that you can travel to. Uh, where they have lodging on site, and and you you know maybe you eat meals and things with uh, with your fellow students or instructors even, uh, you know I'm talking about like uh, maybe like a like a gun site or a Thunder Ranch or mm-hmm. uh, well even Front Site is kind of that way right um, uh, or a Tactical Response you know and a couple of those that some people might not. Uh, you know, place on the same level as some of the others I mentioned, but, uh, but, but, but they all kind of have a similar approach in that they're, they are, they do generate a little bit more, I think, a sense of community sometimes, but they are traveling destinations for training. Right. And uh, that is the exception rather than the rule as far as how training is usually conducted uh, for I think most people in most locations across the country. Um, but just to point out like that, that sort of thing can and probably does exist to some extent, uh, maybe not equally, for, you know, across all of those different, uh, places. And there are others for sure to be mentioned. Um, then also I was thinking about how a lot of times when you take like national level traveling instructors and you have hosts that bring them in, Usually how a lot of the seats in those classes are filled are from people that that host knows or sure. the people from that local community. Um, maybe sometimes the host is an instructor themselves. Actually, a lot of times it, the, the host is probably an instructor and they a lot of times have even taught a lot of the, the students that are now attending this class that the host is organizing on behalf of this national traveling you know level instructor. And, and so I think that there are varying degrees. I guess where I'm going is there's varying degrees of effectiveness in how community and culture can be 
cultivated for training opportunities like this. And what I want to do now, having kind of established some of that context, is also kind of take it to the other extreme and, and use this Huntsville, Alabama class as an example of, you know, really kind of seeing what you can really do if, if you want to, I guess. So this class started getting organized, put together by a, a mutual associate and friend of ours, Ethan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was the class host. Um, he's connected to a bunch of guys, many of them local and some not necessarily local, but all mutually connected. Although I think we had a couple of people there that were more, you know, that just, they just happened to sign up. They, you know, happened to be there because they heard of the class or whatever, um, including some folks I had invited. And, uh, but what kind of next happened as this evolved was you, you jumped on board and this is where you get a lot of credit. And I don't, I don't know whether you came up with the idea or someone else came up with the idea, but you ended up securing a massive house rented via Airbnb where like 80% of the class attendees stayed all together in this house for the weekend. Um, in, in, including instructors, me and you, I was there too. Uh, so, so it, now I know you gave me the option. You're like, well, I don't know if you want to do this. And I'm like, heck yeah. Like this, this is, this is a unique opportunity to have every, well, almost everybody. Again, we were missing a couple of folks that ended up making lodging arrangements elsewhere or they lived locally or whatever. Um, but I thought this was a unique opportunity to like truly, be embedded with the people that I was there to teach for the weekend and also to see kind of how the dynamic of this little community, this little band of, of misfits, shall we name them? Uh, The Island of Broken Toys. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's kind of, that that's, and that's what I mean, like going to the like other extreme where this was a, a, essentially an open enrollment, firearms training course, but where most of the attendees of that, including instructors, all lived together for basically two and a half days and shared meals together and got up together and went to the range together and trained together. And like, that's, yeah, it it was really interesting, Um, but I quite enjoyed it. Again, I don't know that every instructor would, uh, would would necessarily want to do that um but i enjoyed it and it was cool seeing how this dynamic came together and it really was this miniature community of individuals all there united with this purpose of training yep getting better i i think what was interesting about that is it kind of pierced the veil between instructional staff and student uh, so it really got to the point where not only we all say, hey, you know, your performance is our, our main priority here. Uh, it became really, really clear from the student perspective that we absolutely supported them. And, and that was really our motivation. So it was, it was interesting. But on, on another note, it's also taxing. So I could understand that, you know, some instructors might struggle with that because you can never really turn it off. Uh, but if you have the right group of individuals, what you what you yield from it was actually quite interesting. Uh, and I think 
so and we we've, we've talked about this a little bit on a sidebar but i think you have support environments and competitive environments and really that that kind of bridges in any class it's like a two-day class at some point you start seeing where the group gets cohesive mm-hmm. and it, it no longer becomes the 100 priority to uh to perform at their own level but they're more supportive of the people around them and you can almost see an immediate shift in performance in the class as a whole when that happens uh and i think what was interesting about that particular class is that started happening before we even got to the range. Uh, so it was actually really, really quick. And that's something I've, I've been tracking over the years. Like you can find subtle indicators uh, in a student base on when they start creating their own culture. Uh, when someone's on a firing line doing an individual type test, uh, where instead of everyone being quiet and worrying about when their turn is, they start being actively engaged in how other people's performance on a positive level is going for them, you know, clapping when someone does well or supporting them when someone does, you know, less than favorable. Uh, those are interesting thing to, things to watch when it happens uh, and then start seeing what happens metrically once that does happen. Um, and that class was Gosh, what we were maybe two, three hours into the first day of class when that kind of triggered. Uh, and then like the growth was just massive. Not only was the growth massive, but people's ability to intake the information and actually own it uh, kind of started happening really, really quick. And that's that's really the the gold for for us as instructors is how quickly can we make that happen? And how willing are we to be innovative to get there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's caused me to do a lot of reflection, you know, because it's like, well, how can that be duplicated? How can you bottle it? Right. (laughs) Right. How can you bottle it? Yeah. Yeah. I wish you could, you know, stick it in a bottle and just, you know, sprinkle a little on top and, you know, magically poof, but it obviously doesn't work that way. Um, and, and it's like, I've thought about it and it's not feasible, at least for me, you know, to, to, especially where like in a few weeks or I guess really in about a month, I'm I'm heading to Michigan for Mm -hmm. the same class, doing another class up there. Um, just got done doing one in Iowa a few, uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Just a little bit less than two weeks. And you know, I, I love every class. Every class is awesome. Every class has its own, you know, highlights that come, you know, out of it um, that, that I think back and think, you know, mem- uh, fondly and memorably about. Um, but, you know, I, I can't, number one, you can't expect that like every host or every assistant instructor is going to be willing or able or even care enough to um, try to duplicate something like what we did in Alabama. Uh, And and again, probably a lot of people wouldn't even go for something like that because again, a lot of these classes are going to be filled by people that are more local to the area. So they may, you know, well, why would I go stay in a house with a bunch of random people for two, three days when, you know, that's just going to cost more and, you know, and, and plus like, I, I'm just not comfortable doing that or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, it's not, not, 
feasible to to try to duplicate what we did in Alabama um, for every class. So I, I guess I have to ask the question then, like from your point of view, what are some of the thing takeaways that and, and commonalities and, and things that we can learn from something like that, taking this to the extreme side of the example of like really truly building a community of, of folks. Um, but what are some of the things that are more feasible or reasonable and more able to be implemented? Do you think, um, but whether from a student's perspective, like what, is there a role that the individual student can play in that, uh, from the host perspective? And then also, of course, from the instructor perspective, what do you, what do you think there? Yeah, I'll start with the instructor perspective, because where I think we create our culture, right? Uh, we 100% have a hand in how that works. Yeah, And I think if you lead wanting to be student focused, um, you'll immediately start seeing yield there. Uh, the easy way to do that, if there's time constraints, uh, is take an extra few minutes to kind of find out who people are. Why are they there? Like, really, what is their motivation? And that can simply be done as starting your classes with talking to people. Uh, don't immediately kind of put on the armor of instructorship. Uh, try and connect. And uh, that usually kind of yields. And then try and foster an environment where they connect with each other. Uh, where it's not an individualized thing. I mean, you can make the analogy to sports. Uh, if you think about high-performing sports teams, not individualized sports, uh, that's that's really what happens with the, the halftime talks or the locker room talks. You're trying to drum up the group. And as the group, you might have a singular high performer in that group or a couple high performers in that group, but they bring everyone else with them because they are supportive of each other and the overall yield becomes more than the, the sum of its parts. So I think that's really the biggest thing to try and do is take more time to figure out how to find out people, find out where people are and meet them there and bring everyone along for the ride. Uh, and then like if we, we take it really deep. So, you know, anyone that's ever done a class that has a performance-based metric, uh, the the nerves and the things like that, when it's their turn to perform, uh, I mean, I've heard it a thousand times, the heart in the throat or the worrying if they're the last one on the line or their turn just dreading it. Uh, that's really indicative of, of them putting their self-worth into one particular performance right and there everyone's afraid of of you know being judged by their peers or being judged by instructors or whatever format they're in mm -hmm. uh, but if you could set that up where the entire group understands that that failure's a necessary part of learning we're talking about learning environments here uh, and they support that that's okay uh, I think you'll see quicker yield and, and quicker movement to high performance levels uh, versus everyone worried about their own singular performance 
uh, and individualizing kind of what they're experiencing. Uh, so mm -hmm. certainly not saying sit around and sing Kumbaya mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, get, get really into the weeds on what that looks like. But the moment we can have the entire group invested in the performance of the entire group, uh, yield statistically uh, becomes higher. Um, and I've measured it again and again and again. Uh, but really, just connect. Spend more time trying to connect with people, more time having them understand uh, that there's a you behind the curriculum. Uh, and it's not just a curriculum because that that stuff just doesn't stick. It, it just doesn't. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you know, okay. So I, I'm going to be honest and straightforward with you here. Just, just based on what you've been talking about in the last few minutes, it, it's caused some thoughts to pop into my mind. The first thing was, was what are some simple things that an instructor can do to immediately start fostering community and culture? And like the very first thing I think is just helping everybody get to know one another, right? So I always like those the classes that start, and I try to do this every class too, um, where you you kind of start with a, hey everybody, um, obviously I'm I'm Riley, I'm here to teach a class, but guess what? Like I want to hear from each of you, what's your name, where'd you come from, uh, why are you here? And that, that's actually a question I think is really really relevant. Um, is, is like why why are you here? Like what are what are what are you hoping to achieve by being in this class this weekend? Like, yep. and cause that, that immediately informs me as an instructor of maybe some areas right off the bat that I, I want to be focused on for them. Cause that's why they're there. Um, so I can start tailoring what's taught to them as a student. And then also, you know, like even just little information about like, what's your background? Well, as soon as student a finds out from student G that, Oh, I'm an engineer. Well, I am too, you know, or there's some kind of commonality there. Like poof, people can start gravitating towards one another a little bit or, or feel a little bit, um, you know, more unified. And so I, I, I that's, that was one of, where one of my thoughts went immediately was like something as simple as that. And not every, not every instructor, not every class does that, but I, I, I like doing that. Even if it's relatively brief, um, I think it's helpful. Uh, I, I, and I think it probably should be brief. I mean, like you don't want to like end up taking sure. an hour to do, you know, introductions for everybody. Right. Sure. So, but, um, well, um, oh, do you want to, yeah, I, I think, and, and I think you'll concur with this. I, I cannot think of a class that I've had over the course of the last couple of years where there wasn't that one person that in some form or another says, well, I don't, I don't know that I belong here. I don't know that I'm good enough to be here or something like that. Understanding that early is important uh, and understanding kind of where they are is important because how can you teach somebody when you don't know their motivations for being there? Uh, once you start understanding that the coaching process becomes easier because you, you kind of understand what they need uh, and it, it immediately puts you in a position to try and provide what they need, not what you think they need. Uh, so it's a interesting skill to learn, uh, learning how to deal and read people, uh, versus learning how to explain your skill. Uh, because at the end of the day, when we have, you know, paid clientele, it should 100% be about them, right? Not about you. Um, 
but yeah, that's, that's really the thing I, I go in and you might've actually heard me say this, uh, Anytime I teach or work with anybody in any facet of what I do, not just within the, the firearms instruction space, is I ask a couple simple questions. One, and the most important being, well, whom do I serve in this particular interaction? Is it me? Is it my ego? Uh, or is it them? And then adjust accordingly. Uh, if, you, if you really sit and think about it with almost any interaction, if you're really truly invested in them, and, and what they're looking to achieve, um, they're going to get significantly more out of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The other thought that came to mind was, as from, again, from the instructor perspective, was uh, what could I do to try to cultivate a community and a culture before a class? Which, that's a lot more challenging a thing to to do because especially as a traveling instructor, because like I don't get to interact usually with these people ahead of time, uh, face to face. Um, at the very least it's probably via email or some other means of, you know, written communication of, Hey guys, class coming up, you know, just checking in and here's what you need and you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, but like when I send those emails, uh, just for privacy reasons, like I, everybody's blind copied, right? So there's not, you, you don't even have that opportunity to have people start conversing amongst themselves uh, th that are attendees of the class. But the thought that came to my mind was, would it be worth the investment in time and effort? And would it be well received to have some kind of class group uh, I mean, immediately I think, well, a Facebook group would be an easy way of doing that because they're easy to set up and easy to establish and easy to invite people. But obviously there's going to be some students that don't do the Facebook thing. So that might leave them out. Um, so it's like, well, all right, a forum of some kind, you know, I, but immediately my mind has started thinking like, I wonder about creating some kind of online social group of some kind that that everybody could join or at least be invited to and again not everybody's gonna probably even when they're invited not want to do that and that's fine that's on them um, but you get probably a good percentage of the class uh, participating and just start the conversation ahead of time like it's probably a fairly common practice I've kind of started doing it but I haven't been very consistent with it of like I have a group that I've invited alumni students to. And some of you, if you're students of mine are hearing this, you're like, well, I didn't get that invite yet. Yeah. Because I haven't been consistent doing it. Um, but, but it's a fairly common um, practice with some instructors to sort of, Hey, you get invited to my alumni group now, but that's post-class. Right. Where, where's the, the strength in. So, I mean, you have the commonality of experience when, when you have alumni pages, things like that. And they're great. Um, but I'm kind of with you doing it ahead of time in some form or fashion. I mean, from an instructor perspective, you could do it with, with simple questionnaires. Uh, a lot of times we send out questionnaires saying, Hey, what kind of holster do you have? Rarely do we, rarely do we talk about motivations. Um, so yeah. say if you understood if someone was taking this class, because, uh, you know, 
a trauma or, or something that they're trying to protect themselves from, uh, or they just, you know, want to perform at the highest level. What, what is the end goal? And then you can kind of tailor your thinking to that individual uh, because of knowing that. But I tend to agree. I think, uh, especially in, in your and my experience, I think online, if you can do it, if you can pull it off, I think is significantly underutilized. Uh, I think a big part of how our friendship started and blossomed was via that same kind of medium uh, as part of the active self-protection instructor certification where there's there's WebExes that happen. So people start to get to know each other. And yeah. then once you're in person, you've already stripped away a, a whole bunch of the the ego driven or egocentric kind of thinking. People already kind of know each other. Uh, so yeah. I think there's probably value there. I, it, it would take investment, but is, is the end game worth that investment? I think it could be for sure. So I've got this Michigan class coming up and it'll be my last class for a while this year, just by nature of, you know, how my schedule, uh, goes this, this year. Uh, but, uh, I think I'm going to try to experiment with, some of what we're discussing right now. And even what you just said there a second ago, like a WebEx or a Zoom call ahead of time. Um, I don't know that I've ever attended a class that did that either. Um, at least making that opportunity available, being like, hey, you know what? Like, I could send an email to all the students. Uh, hey, on Thursday evening, such such time, um, here's a Zoom link. You don't have to, but would love to have you there. We should do a quick Zoom call. Uh, go over the requirements for the class, answer any questions you have, get to know each other a little bit. Like that could be really, really cool to do. Yeah. I, I mean, you could also, you could ease class flow and create a little bit of efficiency with it. So you could potentially cover some safety things, range rules, uh, stuff like that, and save yourself a little bit of time from the administrative if you so chose. Uh, but it's a it's a more comfortable environment to allow people to do that and and let the conversation develop. Um, it's it's yeah, I did. I just saw the culture comment. Very good. Very good. But uh, yeah, I mean, I that's something that I would be interested if you tried it to find out what your experience was with it, because I think that's a. Especially as as technology develops, we we know it's reliable and we could use that. Why not do that? Yeah, I'm going to do a little, um, a little further thinking on this. Uh, we, we should probably move on to to the next thing here, but uh, I'm going to do some more thought thought on this because I think this is uh, this is really good stuff, man. This is really good stuff. Uh, I wanted to kind of again hear from you your thoughts on uh, a, a, along a similar vein from the host and the student perspective. I think this is something too, that if someone out there listening to the podcast hosts classes or is interested in hosting classes, they can have probably uh, some measure of impact in this regard as well. And then also again, kind of your thoughts on from the student's perspective, if there's anything you think, you know, worth uh, uh, discussing there, or at the very least, what can students, people planning on attending training, do ahead of time to sort of set themselves up, I guess, to be receptive to uh, uh, an effective culture in a training environment. 
Yeah, I think so from a host perspective, a host can make or break a class. Uh, you know, their their willingness to input and make it a success is is hugely important. Uh, so I think, and it, it's really, un, unfortunately, exceedingly rare that you have a really engaged host. Um, that's where I will call out Ethan. He was just an amazing host, how he dealt with the particular class that we're talking about. It was, it was just amazingly done. Um, from a student perspective, I think it's important. And well, I also think it matters what kind of class you're taking. Uh, so if you're you're taking a class that is is more about learning or you're taking a class that's about proving your current level of skill, I think those are two very different things uh, that need to be kind of hashed out and understanding your motivation and where that lies. Uh, but if you're going to learn, you know, just really kind of shedding a little bit of the ego and the worry related to ego and performance. Uh, because if you're going to learn, I, I, I think I mentioned it before, but failure is required. If you do not push to that failure point, you're not really learning. You're just either uh, repeating what you already know and not not trying to learn to implement anything new, or you're just not going to try. You're going to stay in that safe zone. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of stagnation in learning or people that just go to classes and they don't really get anything out of it. They're, they're the same shooter that they came in as. Mm. Um, so I think not being afraid to fail is huge. Uh, not being afraid of judgment, because, I mean, the simple way a lot of instructors say it is go, you know, everyone's worried about what they're doing on the line. But is that really true? I Sometimes, maybe. Uh, but I think if you let go of the judgment of everybody else and you really just start, you know, exceeding what your own perceived limitations are, that's when growth happens. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think everyone that does a lot of training uh, or people that do instruction see a lot of shooters, you can see it when that happens. It's it's obvious uh, you can still have nerves. You can still be worried about performing well, but you know, your self-worth does not come from a, a particular exercise on a particular Saturday on the range. Uh, when you can release that, wow, the things you can do. And that's why I think, uh, really, if you, you think about it, why people have personal bests that rarely happen in, in communal type environments. Uh, because they're so worried about the judgment of others, they won't push. They won't push past what they can currently do. Uh, yeah. That's why you see a lot of personal records happening when when someone's on the range by themselves, because there is no fear of judgment. And judgment's a construct. You know, even if someone that you've never met before is judging you, does that really impact your performance? You know, especially in a learning environment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're so you're absolutely spot on there. I think that that is actually one of the issues that keeps people from signing up from training in the first place sometimes is either fear of the unknown because mm -hmm. there's this unknown, like you don't know for sure exactly what the class is going to be all about. You don't know for sure how it's going to go. You don't know for sure who's going to be there. You don't know for sure, 
if you're going to even like the instructor or the curriculum in the first place. So there's all these unknowns. You don't know how you're going to stack up, how you're going to perform. So many unknowns. Uh, fear of failure, another big, big, big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, not wanting to show up in a training class with a bunch of other shooters and be the low man or woman on the totem pole. Um, and people don't like that. Or even like, and I've, I've felt this myself. Oh, yeah. You kind of establish this a little bit of a reputation. People kind of know you when you show up or even like, I remember attending a class. I'm not going to mention for sure exactly which one it was, but I remember the instructor um, who had invited me to take that class from them um, made a point to point me out to the whole class. And I didn't mind, although I, I, I'm sure there would be some people out there that would, would mind that. Um, that's why I'm not mentioning which class, which instructor. Um, I, I had no problem with that whatsoever, but by being singled out. Oh yeah. It creates pressure. Right. And that, and then everybody happens. else in the class is like, Oh, who's this guy? Like yeah. they hadn't heard about me before. So now there's this expectation that, well, this guy is supposed to be a, a shooter, you know, like, and then, you know, there, there is that fear of failure because now an expectation has been set up yeah. and that expectation has been placed upon you. Now you have to be the one that accepts that expectation. Um, but the point is, is that you're absolutely spot on with some of the things I think that do hold students back in training. Um, And also even including signing up in the first place is a lot of just various fears of some kind. And uh, we got to push past that. Um, And and that's some, I make that, I make a point to talk about that in the beginning of my class, guys, like let go of the ego. I don't know who you were. Maybe I do, but like, as soon as you step foot through my doorway, my figurative doorway, if it's, you know, an outdoor range, as soon as you step foot through that doorway into my class, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you are all equal individuals. Yep. Don't care who you are, what you've done, what your background is. I mean, I, I care. Okay, like let's be clear. I don't not care. Yeah, for sure. But but I, everybody. My goal is that everybody is going to get the same treatment. I hope I'm going to endeavor for that. And what that means is not everybody gets exactly the same thing, but hopefully everybody gets exactly what they need. And that's going to be different and unique for every individual. And I want everybody to get this, this attitude of these expectations and these egotistical um, limitations, like put that aside. Uh, you focus on you. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about what you think they think about you. You know, just just do your thing. And you're exactly right. A, a remarkable thing happens when people let go of stuff like that. Uh, we not only milk out of them their best performance because a lot of times what holds us back is our own self-imposed limitations. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we also encourage the ability for people to let go sometimes and fail and learning occurs when failure occurs. And that's a scary thing. Again, that's one of those things that holds people back is they're, they're afraid of failing, but you will not learn if you don't push the limits and stretch yourself and occasionally fail. Oh, preach brother. Preach. Uh, I mean, I can use a personal example of that. And I, I, we've talked about this in the past, but, you know, I, just like anyone else, you know, a certain number of people know who I am and know what I can do. 
Uh, I have also been called out uh, in classes before, and it, it puts pressure on you. Uh, but I, I can think of one particular class that you and I took together, and it was profound for me because I did not perform well. Uh, and in the beginning of that, that failure released me enough that I learned more in that class because I was no longer tied to an outcome. I was tied to learning. Uh, so I think I took away so much more than just if if I'd have performed to my highest level and I got accolades for doing well or shooting well, uh, you know, that can just happen on any given day. But actual learning, like I was more focused on what was being said, the concepts that were being presented, things like that, than going, well, you know, I need to run from point A to point B and, and basically put six shots on this target in whatever three seconds. It was more about, well, why am I doing this and what does this mean? Uh, so it, it freed me up to kind of worry about something else. And uh, I, I think an interesting perspective that you brought up about fear of stacking up and things like that. If, and this to help people that, that are really concerned about like their first class or something like that. The way I look at it like that, whether I'm in a class of two or a class of 20, if I am the worst performer in that class, I have 20 people to learn from, not just one. And I, I think if, if you frame it like that and you think about it like that, you now have a huge pool of experience and, and aptitude to kind of pull from versus, you know, one person. Because at the end of the day, classes are communal. Uh, you can learn just as much from the person you're shooting next to as the person that's instructing the class. And, and I think that gets lost in the yep. mix a lot. Yep. It, it, uh, yes. Uh, that's something I think that people need to, especially if you not, are not a, um, a, a well-experienced student. That's uh, kind of, I, I guess that's the way to describe it. If you're not someone that has done a lot of training, as a student um, and been in a lot of different classes, uh, you might not think about that, but that is a huge opportunity for learning is not just the stuff that you do while you're on the shooting line, on the firing line, not just the stuff that you learn that you get from the instructor or feedback from the instructor, but when you're watching other people trying to do the same thing, like you should approach it from the perspective of viewing what they're doing through your own lens. Like, you know, the stuff you're struggling with uh, a lot of times other people are going to struggle with the same things mm -hmm. and sometimes they won't. Right. Sometimes they, 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 they will do whatever the drill or exercise or thing is very well. And you can watch and try to understand like, well, what are they doing differently than me? That's leading to that right. success. So viewing it kind of from a, you're a student there and you're observing other people in the class, try to view them from the viewpoint of the instructor a little bit of like, mm -hmm. what is that person doing? Analyze what they're doing, diagnose what they're doing and, but view it with your own lens as it applies to you. So you can start, uh, you're, you know, you're creating your own feedback loop of sorts based on what you're seeing somebody else do. Um, and that's one reason why I like doing 
relays in a class, even when I don't necessarily have to, because it creates that additional opportunity for learning. Uh, And I know that some people would be like, well, if I had the option of attending a class where I'm on the firing line the whole time, shooting and doing this, doing the thing uh, versus where I'm only on the line half the time, like, well, I want to be on the line all the time. You're missing. If that's your perspective, you're missing out on a huge opportunity for learning. Sure. Yeah. And I was just going to say that as you kind of started leading that there's like a B lines or relays are hugely, hugely useful uh, if you set it up correctly, uh, because then people are, are not only experiencing what they're experiencing when they're on the line, but they're seeing someone else experience it as well. And then they're privy to coaching that happens to other people. Either they can do it between themselves or between the instructor and the student and they catch more. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, certainly you can go down a line of students and just say, Hey, move your foot here, uh, your shoulders bunching up there. And they're going to have, you know, something quick to work on, but being exposed to more of that, as well as seeing it work with someone else uh, one, it, it buys credibility. Two, it improves the overall performance of the entire class. Um, and it's kind of fun because you start seeing things that you wouldn't see otherwise. Um, that's I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, you know, a lot of times it happens because classes are very full. Uh, but I think even if they're smaller, it should be implemented at some point, just learning how to watch because what I've, I've noticed about people, people in particular is their perception of what they're doing is somewhat skewed versus what we see. Uh, And when they see that from another perspective, it's like a constantly evolving demonstration Mm. uh, versus us just doing a demo and saying, Hey, this is how you do this. They're seeing it from that, from the learning perspective, and then they're seeing it from the developmental perspective, which is huge. I, I think it's got huge, huge, huge yield. Yeah. And, and back to kind of the class culture piece, one thing I love seeing happen is as the class gets more comfortable with themselves and they start talking more amongst themselves. Now this is a little bit tricky sometimes as an instructor to, to manage from a class management perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love seeing this back and forth discussion and feedback between, you know, like if you have relays going and so you've got people maybe paired up or something, or even if it's not necessarily between relay pairs, but just when people start kind of talking amongst themselves, because well, a lot of times what's happening is they're discussing whatever's being taught from their perspective and what they're seeing and what they're realizing from it and putting it into their own words. And sometimes that discussion that takes place among students helps certain students grasp a concept that maybe they weren't quite grasping because it's, it's explained like already within one class, like as an instructor, like I I try to explain things where I can in a variety of ways. So it clicks and resonates with different people, but I can't always do that. And I can't always do it for every person, but sure. in that, you know, one little way of just having some student led discussion amongst themselves, those sorts of things happen, you know, where, where things are explained and discussed in different perspectives and that clicks and resonates with different people. Um, 
and sometimes, and I love seeing when like students themselves, like, yeah, they're not the instructor. And I know that maybe some people out there would be a little bit offended by this and kind of be like, well, who are you to critique me? But I appreciate and encourage when a student is like, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm your, I'm your partner on the line here. And we've been shooting together now for a day and a half. And like, Hey, you did this one little thing. Like maybe, maybe make this one little tweak. And like, that is a okay as far as I'm concerned. And I think also uh, results in, in dividends in the long run um, with the students. And the challenge again, as an instructor is managing that so that the discussion doesn't get out of hand or distract them sure. from, you know, the next piece that's coming. Cause obviously like I've got a lesson plan I'm trying to follow um, that yes, is adapted to the class and adapted to individuals, but I still got to, you know, get certain things done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you have people on, on paired up on the side of a line that are talking about how the grass grows, obviously that's not productive, but I think, so if we think about what we have from a time perspective as instructors, and let's let's just say we have 20 people, uh, there's limited time for us to explain conceptually what we want them to understand or want them to learn. Uh, and really, in my experience, when people learn and then move from learning to understanding is when they rearticulate these ideas. Uh, when they can form it into their own words, their own thoughts, and apply that to their own thinking, that happens when they're talking about it. So yep. allowing that to happen, whether it's with us who have limited time because we have 20 people that we have to do this with or amongst themselves, if it's proctored in such a way that that's really what's happening, you're getting a ton of value there just having them. I, I mean, we can only carry so many analogies in our bag right? To kind of help reach people. But if they have uh, one, the permission to discuss it among themselves, as long as it's not distracting to the overall class flow, they are going to learn more. And I, I, I hesitate to use the word learn because I think they will understand more. And understanding is kind of the key. Uh, not being able to parrot ideas or parrot kind of things that they were just explained, but really understand what that means and how to apply it. So mm -hmm. um, endlessly useful. Uh, you would certainly have to proctor it, but allowing it to happen uh, with some care, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. Man, um, this has been I mean, I don't know if it's been as good for everybody else as it has been for me, but this has been like a really, really awesome discussion um, that I feel almost uh, selfish in a way because it's, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm getting really good stuff here. Uh, <laughs> like, it's been like a, a counseling session, you know, <laughs> for, for me that's been aired publicly. Uh, but I think it's been really fantastic. Uh, Typically, we keep our episodes to an hour here, so we're we're actually just past an hour. Oof, that flew by. I know, right? Um, but I don't want to turn off the fire hose, you know, immediately. I want to just kind of throw it back to you, Chris, and say, like, what else do you want to throw out there relevant to this topic, if anything? Um, or if you're like, yeah, no, we've we've done this justice. If you want to offer some 
last words or a summary or whatever that might be too. Like, um, feel, feel free. But, uh, well, is there anything that we haven't covered that we really should discuss still at this point? Well, I, I think just to reiterate something I spoke on in the beginning and understanding that at the end of the day, we're dealing with people, um, and people have differing levels to consume information, to apply information. And if we apply that to ourselves, uh, that's where I, I think you brought it up in the beginning. These are things that are, are kind of can be helpful in overall life, you know, learning to shed a little bit of ego, uh, open yourself up a little bit to learning um, and dealing with people the way you would want to be dealt with. I mean, age old uh, anecdote there, but when you start doing that, it's amazing what people can do uh, when you do that truthfully and wholly. Um, mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing for me that I try and do in almost every interaction that I have is just trying to figure out where someone is and what can I do to make that where they are and where they want to be easier in a, a better transition. And I, I think if you actively think about that, really, really great things can happen. They really can. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice comment here from Scott on Facebook. If the instructor encourages partner collaboration, it will happen. I've seen it happen a couple of times and you're right. It's awesome. Always nice to be uh, validated, uh, Scott. Um, Thanks, yeah. Scott. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. You know, I've experienced that myself uh, a number of times in classes, and uh, yeah, sometimes I've I've sometimes I've come away from classes with big takeaways that wasn't something the instructor said, but was something that I either observed in somebody else uh, or was from a conversation I had with somebody. And I'll also say too, for those of you that are a little bit more experienced, I think that there's a little bit more of an of a responsibility placed upon us um, to be leaders in our communities. And, you know, I, I was once paired with somebody in a class that was very uh, much separated from me in terms of skill level. And, 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 and I think that was maybe not entirely intentional, but like, you know, it was just one of those things that, it was a class where we did relays, relay one, relay two, or A, B, whatever. Um, and I just got, you know, stuck with this person. And I don't, that, that wasn't a bad thing. But when it happened and I got to know them and, and got to see them shoot, I was like, this, this is good because I can, I can do some things to help them. Yep. And I know the instructor observed that and was like, oh, I'm so glad that you are paired with them. Because frankly, they were kind of the, I think the class was a little bit above them in their you know, like they weren't quite ready for it and it would have required a little more care and attention from the main instructor. Um, if I couldn't have been right there with that person all weekend long and like really keeping an eye on them and just being able to help them along, I, they would have struggled if they didn't have that. So I think that's something that's good for those of us that are a little bit more experienced to recognize that, Hey, you are a leader in this industry, in this community or whatever, um, act like it and step up to the plate and help people out. Like ultimately, I mean, that's my perspective. I, I, I'm a big believer in helping other 
others. I, I, that was the way I was raised. I was raised by, you know, a mother and a grandmother and a family with, you know, Christian values of like, help your neighbor be a good brother or a good sister or whatever, you know, to, to, you know, in, in the bigger picture of things. And, uh, it's, it's, it's good to be able to have those opportunities. So, um, and I appreciate when I see that in others, uh, and I appreciate it too. I'll tell you another thing. I, I shared the line once. Now I wasn't paired with him, but I was right next to him. Um, shared the line with uh, BJ Norris mm-hmm. in a class. And I mean, BJ is a world champion shooter, especially in uh, steel challenge and uh, just a phenomenal shooter. Right. And it was really awesome to spend a weekend sure. with him where I felt like I was, the low man, you know, I mean, there were certainly shooters that were lesser skilled than I in that class, but like just being next to someone like him and being able to have conversations and, and, you know, share ideas and feedback and and whatnot. And also seeing someone of his caliber make mistakes even. Yep. Because it's refreshing. all do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that gets lost. But I, I think that's a great point is when you're in that environment, uh, the entire environment is an opportunity to learn something. The entire environment is. Uh, I think the other end of the spectrum that, you know, certainly don't want to talk about, you know, because it's it's not necessarily positive, but you will inevitably run into people that that want to, you know, negatively impact others or really, really kind of show their skill mm-hmm. uh, at your sake. Uh, and I would tend to tell them, in my experience, uh, normally the people of true high level skill have surpassed that. There's no need to do that anymore. Uh, yeah. And it's better when you can kind of relinquish a little bit of that because you will perform better, uh, especially if you have developed skill in those situations yeah. where you're no longer so wrapped up in what you can do or how you are negatively impacting others uh, because I, I think it's almost a form of sabotage really. I, I've, I've almost seen it in classes where uh, if, if somebody's doing individualized testing where they're, they talk while someone else is testing or things like that, that's, it might not be uh, purely conscious, but I think mm-hmm. there's a subconscious aspect to it going, Whew, I sure hope that person doesn't do well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Man, help them do well because what does it cost you? Nothing. It doesn't change what you can do. Uh try and help others get to where you are. Mhm. Mm. Yeah, it, it, you're right and I've seen that as well where someone has clearly showed up to a class uh what I mean I'd like to think that they're there with a purpose too, beyond like, I mean, I mean, hopefully they're there to learn something too, but maybe not everybody is, but I, I, I'd like to think that that still is there to some extent, but they're there also, like you said, to sort of prove, yeah, prove who they are, you know, and their skill level. And, um, that, that's a sign of somebody that's insecure actually. Sure. In who they are. And that's why w- so often we see, I mean, just the fact that I was in a class with BJ Norris, like the fact that he was in a class, like that speaks volumes. Um, he doesn't, 
need a class like that probably i suppose uh compared to you know us mortal folks but uh but that shows humility that you know he'd be willing to to attend a class and and there was no ego on his part he just did the thing and he did it remarkably well um but clearly he's secure in who he is as far as i could observe because he's been there, done that. He truly is a world-class shooter. But you sure. do see those individuals that I, that I think it's a sign of insecurity when they feel like they have something to to prove. Um, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. But I hope that folks, by listening to this conversation here this evening, can give that some thought and like watch for that yourself within yourself. And at the very least, understand that like, it's okay to go to a class and make mistakes because as I talked about earlier, like that's a big part about learning. It is completely okay. Um, the other thing too is like sometimes you have uh, classes and my, mine is one of those where there's maybe a, an award that someone can be awarded by performing at a certain level and you might get people that show up and that's a big a desire of theirs is to have a shot at winning such award. Sure. And, and like that, I don't have any problem with that. Like I've, I, I have desires to win some of those kinds of things. Absolutely. We would be lying if we said, you know, anyone that performs at a relatively high level that it, it doesn't give you pleasure to perform at that level. Right. But yep. yep. you know, that's a, that's a return on investment from work. Yep. That doesn't mean uh, someone's worth any more or any less if they're not performing at that level. I think that's the rub um, where where people get twisted up and thinking, well, if, if I can't do that, obviously, you know, I'm I'm not good enough. No, that that's not the case. You're just not there yet. Um, I think that's what people kind of tend to forget too. Is um, none of us were born good at this <laughs> in any endeavor, right? We're maybe good at breathing, uh, but everything else is a learned skill and it, it requires development and you cannot get there without making that first step, you know? So if nothing else, um, I think it's really important that we do our absolute best to welcome people into what that development phase looks like. Uh, so they continue with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and we kind of started at this place earlier on in the t- discussion tonight. Uh, and this has been true with me. I've I've gotten my best performances. I've had my best opportunities at winning certain things, awards, prizes, whatever, when I wasn't so focused on trying to produce an outcome, but just simply let it happen. Yep. And uh, that's a hard thing. And so for those of you, again, if, if you're out there and some of you are where you show up at a class and, and you're really focused and want you know, in, as far as wanting to be able to do a certain thing, uh, you, you've got to watch for that, that desire and try not to let it sabotage, sabotage yourself, especially, and simply just let stuff happen. Okay. Uh, if you focus on the process, the results will come mm-hmm. and it is as simple as that. Although it's, it's simple 
as that. And it's simple and easy to say, but it is hard to do. Absolutely true. Uh, I think that's a good example, though. Uh, subconscious competence, you know, obviously getting into stuff like that, where I, I try and use an analogy. It's probably not the safest analogy to use, but people can experience flow state, which is kind of basically what we're talking about mm -hmm. all the time and don't realize it. You know, like one of those would be like you, you drive the same route to work every day. And you have one of those days where you can drive home. You don't necessarily remember the drive, but you drove it perfectly. You're allowing the subconscious to do the work while you're somehow occupied with something else. But do the same thing and say, hmm, I need to turn left in 0.2 miles. Well, you're worried about turning left. You're not worried about driving the car, which you're absolutely capable of doing from a subconscious level. I think that applies really well to shooting uh, because I think the mechanical phase of learning how to do it is relatively small. We, we as a collective make it significantly more complex than it really is. I think that's the unexplored dynamic is mentally, how do you release yourself to do something you already know how to do? Uh, that is the hard part. But when you learn how to do that, you might only see it initially 1% of the time, 5% of the time, 10% of the time. But once you start developing that, the, the worry of performance kind of goes away and it's displaced by real performance. Uh, that's a, that's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that could be a topic all of its own. For oh yeah. <laughs> Round two. <laughs> Well, uh, Chris, uh, start wrapping it up here. I, I really appreciate you doing this episode with me tonight. I think uh, it's been a fantastic discussion. A lot of ideas have come out of this and things that I'm going to have to try to explore some more myself and maybe try to implement. Um, I, like you and like many others, want to get better at those things we do, better at shooting and better at teaching, as that is a, a part of my life now. Well, uh, at this point, Final words, sir, your parting words. It could be anything, advice, or you could just say, that's all I got, goodbye. But this is this is your time. Go ahead. Ah, really, we all only get one shot at this. <clears throat> Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Good. It's good. Good advice. Folks, thank you for being along with us for the ride tonight and this episode. Uh, again, it was sponsored by Mountain City Supply, mountaincitysupply.com, and also readyupgear.com and uh, Ready Up Gear's Dummy Ammo. Um, you know, we have a number of sponsors of the podcast, and they make it possible to produce this podcast. And I'd like to think, you know, we do a good job and give people good quality content. Uh, please support our sponsors that support us and make what we do here possible. And I hope that you'll take home with you. Of course, you may already be in your homes or maybe in your cars or your trucks or your, I don't know, bulldozers or whatever, uh, and are able to uh, implement some of the ideas we discussed here tonight and be a better student, be a better host, be a better instructor, or just a better person in general. I think if you think 
deeply enough about some of the things we've talked about tonight that you can find ways to implement uh, some of the stuff we've discussed in a variety of contexts, uh, in your homes, at work, at church, with your children, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I've been enlightened and um, in, in, what's the word? I don't know. Imp- improved is the word that comes to mind, but that sounds a little bit weird. I just, I feel enlightened because of this conversation tonight. So thank you, Chris. Appreciate your time tonight. I appreciate the opportunity, Riley. So with that, folks, we're going to let you go. We'll be back next week with more episodes of the Concealed Carry Podcast. And uh, may have to try to have Chris back on again as a guest co-host because I enjoy our conversations. Although, again, he is a he's a busy guy, so we'll, we'll have to give him some time uh, off or whatever so he can you know do all the other things that he's got to do. But uh, until next time, oh, one, one oh, I should have said this earlier. Where can folks find you? Uh, well, currently, uh, I'm doing instructing under the Complete Combatant uh, with Brian and Shelley Hill. Uh, my my tactical advantage website is currently under instruct or under construction because I'm changing some things about how we're branding and what we're doing. Uh, so, really, if, if someone's interested in finding and training with me. The completecombatant.com would be the way to do that. Um, if, from an instructor development standpoint, obviously active self-protection instructor certification, I can be found there uh, actively trying to develop new instructors uh, to understand a, a more value-added way of doing things. Uh, but really, I, I'm, I'm kind of sneaky. I fly under the radar, so you got to hunt for me if you're looking for me. <laughs> Well, we are going to be back together again next year for uh, a class with Tim Heron that I think yes. is going to be um, similar in its approach. So I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to continue to build that community of in- training individuals. Um, and I'm excited to also just be along for the ride as I play the assistant instructor role to Tim. So it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Well, until next time, folks, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Have a great evening.